6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Tonight on the California Report. State utility regulators have reached settlements with California's two largest power companies over allegations they violated safety rules before a string of fires. And following in the same vein, a look at the most recent PG&E scandal. We then turn to regional news and weather before Felton Pruitt speaks to Julie Baker, the Executive Director of Californians for the Arts and California Arts Advocates. We close our newscast with a commentary from Chaplain Norris Burks. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A month after the oil spill off the Orange County coast, environmental advocates say they plan to sue the federal government, claiming the Department of Interior has failed to review and update plans for oil drilling platforms. The Center for Biological Diversity contends that those plans are badly outdated and could lead to more spills in the future. Miyoka Sakashta is Oceans Director at the Center for Biological Diversity. The platform's old plans said that they had a lifespan of 35 years. So, you know, we were looking at, you know, back in 2007, the plans anticipated that the platforms would be shut down and that they would be decommissioned by 2008, you know, and still more than a decade later, those platforms are still chugging along out there under these old plans. And Sakashta tells the California report that under federal law, the government is required to review oil development and production plans for leases in federal waters and revise them as needed. But she says it rarely ever happens. One thing that this oil spill reminds us of is just how incredibly vulnerable all that old infrastructure is off the coast of California. It's certainly a pervasive problem that offshore drilling is just dirty and dangerous and shouldn't be in our oceans at all. When asked for comment, the Department of Interior told the California report it couldn't speak about pending litigation. The cause of the oil spill is still under investigation, but federal officials have said the pipeline that leaked the crude into the ocean was likely damaged by a ship's anchor. State utility regulators have reached proposed settlements with California's two biggest power companies over allegations they violated safety rules before a string of destructive fires. KQED's Dan Brecky reports. The safety enforcement arm of the California Public Utilities Commission has conducted lengthy investigations into a series of fires involving Southern California Edison and Pacific Gas and Electric. The probes alleged the two companies violated a wide range of safety regulations before the blazes, which include the Thomas and Woolsey fires in Southern California and the Kincaid fire north of San Francisco. The companies dispute most of the allegations, but yesterday the CPUC announced it had reached settlements with both. Edison has accepted a $555 million penalty with PG&E settlement totaling $125 million. Those totals include both cash fines and agreements not to seek recovery of certain costs from utility customers. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. As we've been reporting, PG&E ratepayers could be stuck footing at least some of the bill for the Dixie Fire. And that's just the latest scandal implicating the troubled utility. A recent investigation by our California newsroom found that Wall Street hedge funds dumped more than $2 billion worth of PG&E stock over the past year. As we hear from the California Report's Angela Corral, a congressman representing Silicon Valley hopes these developments will be the tipping point that pushes the 
battle utility towards a public takeover. Ro Khanna has been calling for the state to take over PG&E for years. But after recent reporting by the California newsroom, he hopes there will be more urgency in the effort now. When is enough enough? I mean, we know that PG&E has underinvested in safety. We know that PG&E has not prioritized ratepayers. We now know that PG&E prioritized private investors at the expense of the victims of the fires, thanks to your reporting. That reporting uncovered a giant giveaway. PG&E provided $1.5 billion worth of stock to Wall Street hedge funds who didn't have to pay a cent for it. All they had to do was promise to buy more stock if no one else wanted to later. And they never had to. Meantime, many survivors of fires sparked by PG&E equipment years ago continue to live in cars and trailers waiting on promised compensation. And I just think that at some point, Californians are going to say, this model is not working. It's one thing to have hedge funds or private equity run hotels or airlines. But when it comes to something like providing electricity safely, that should be a responsibility of the state to care about the common good and not private interests. And this could be the straw that broke the camel's back. Kana says he plans to work with the California congressional delegation to investigate and provide answers for fire survivors and accountability for the public. For The California Report, I'm Angela Corral. Support for The California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. As more California counties look to ease COVID-19 masking restrictions, Monterey County is moving in the opposite direction. Health officials there have issued a mandate that starting this Friday, residents will have to wear face coverings indoors in public spaces, regardless of vaccination status. This comes as the county has moved back into the CDC's substantial coronavirus transmission category. Earlier this week, Marin County eased its indoor mask restrictions for people who are fully vaccinated at almost all businesses. It's the first Bay Area County to do so. And health officials in Los Angeles County have outlined a series of steps that would need to occur to loosen its restrictions, including a significant decrease in community transmission and hospitalization rates. In other health news, it's important to have health insurance, especially during a pandemic. As KPCC's Jackie Forte reports, there's a big change to most healthcare coverage you should be on the lookout for when shopping for a new plan during open enrollment. At the beginning of the pandemic, some insurers chose not to charge COVID patients for expensive hospital stays and therapies. A few companies have continued that policy as long as the public health emergency is in place, but most are quietly going back to business as usual. Because the insurance companies voluntarily waived those costs, 
they can decide when to reinstate them. So you'll need to check the policy of each plan you're considering to see how treatment for COVID-19 is covered. You can also avoid hospital bills by getting the free COVID-19 shots or, if you're eligible, the booster. Vaccinated people are five times less likely to get infected and ten times less likely to get so sick that they end up in the hospital. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. And that is The California Report for Wednesday, November 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Today in regional news, the Union of Grass Valley reports early yesterday morning Grass Valley detectives, with assistance from the Nevada County Sheriff's Office, served a search warrant to a residence on Round Valley Circle. Fentanyl, meth, heroin, psychedelic mushrooms, prescription narcotics, dozens of firearms, and other stolen items were recovered. Two individuals, both prior felons, were taken into custody without incident. Although both individuals are prohibited from carrying and possessing firearms in accordance with their previous convictions, they were armed when arrested. Recovered items have been linked to at least two local burglaries at this point. The Nevada County Public Health Department will host a free vaccination clinic for children ages 5 to 11 on November 16th at the Grass Valley Veterans Memorial Building in Grass Valley. Quote, We're offering an opportunity to get local kids vaccinated quickly. With second doses scheduled for December 7th, kids who get vaccinated at the November 16th clinic will be fully protected just in time for the December holidays, said Public Health Director Jill Blake. The clinic will be geared specifically to young children, with fun activities, a calming corner, and physicians on hand to answer questions. A parent or guardian must be present with any minor receiving a vaccination. The state will make appointments available on myturn.ca.gov beginning tomorrow, November 4th. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration authorized the emergency use of the lower-dose Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 to 11 on October 29th. Inmates who battled California wildfires, many as frontline firefighters, have a mounting list of complaints about how the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation is calculating how much early release credit they get for that work. New rules were put in place in May, leading them to believe that climate change and wildfires have had another effect, keeping inmates around longer to fight more fires. Firefighters first began raising questions about their release dates suddenly being extended in July. At that time, California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation spokesperson Vicki Waters wrote, quote, In implementing the system, we became aware of a programming modification issue that impacted some projected release dates and have responded quickly to address the situation. The dates of those impacted by this issue in the system are being recalculated immediately, end quote. But inmates said they believe they still are not being given the proper amount of credit and have not been able to get an explanation for why their release dates suddenly have been pushed back. As of May, the CDCR had almost 1,600 inmates in fire camps, including 900 who go out to scenes as volunteer frontline firefighters working under the supervision of CAL FIRE officials. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. And now for your regional weather. Those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, possible gusts as high as 20 miles per hour with a low around 49. We'll have showers after 11 p.m. Up to half an inch of precipitation is possible. Tomorrow, cloudy through mid-morning, then gradual clearing with a high near 59. Showers likely before 11 a.m. 
In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, increasing clouds with a low around 39. Possible rain late tonight, snow at high elevations nearing 9,000 feet. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy through mid-morning, then gradual clearing with a high near 51. Rain likely before 11 a.m. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement for the Truckee-Tahoe region. A fast-moving weather system will move across northeast California and northwest Nevada late tonight into Thursday. Expect gusty winds up to 45 miles per hour tomorrow evening and increasingly active weather this weekend into next week. In concordance with this weather system, a lake wind advisory for Lake Tahoe is in effect from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. Thursday. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight increasing clouds with a low around 57, showers likely after 11 p.m. Tomorrow, cloudy through mid-morning, then gradually clearing with a high near 68. Last month, Governor Gavin Newsom signed the California Creative Workforce Act into law, the first bill of its kind. Up ahead, Felton Pruitt speaks to Julie Baker, the executive director of Californians for the Arts and California Arts Advocates, about the impacts of this legislation on the California arts community. We're talking with Julie Baker. She's the executive director of Californians for the Arts and California Arts Advocates. And you've had some recent success last month. Governor Newsom signed SB 628, the California yeah. Creative Workforce Act of 2021. Talk about that. Yeah, it's really exciting. And some would say even a game changer for our sector in that it is actually the first of its kind of a creative workforce development bill by a state in the United States. And the first thing that it does is it prioritizes for the state of California to invest in the creative um, industries workforce. So that's a really important thing because as an industry, arts and artists and creative workers and arts workers, you know, we've always been fighting not only for recognition and the value of our impact of what we do, but we've also been fighting for funding so that we can have a living wage at what we do. And a lot of times artists are not seen as that vital workforce. And I think that in the last 19 months, in many ways, and losing that workforce, dramatically one day to the next. And because of COVID, there was a recognition of not only of the economic impact artists and creative workers bring to every community in the state of California, but also the social, emotional, and wellness public health benefits that arts bring um, in in terms of our joy and empathy and um, creativity and just overall wellness. And so I think that it was the game changer in that we finally have wording that states this, that says that creative workers are essential to California. And even though for decades we've been saying, for example, we're 8% of California's gross domestic product, we're head of industries like transportation and agriculture. When you talk about combined value, it still didn't translate into how do we take care of this workforce? How do we ensure that this workforce can afford to live in our communities in California and have a living wage. So some of the components of the bill include that there would be a new pipeline of creative workers in earn and learn kind of apprenticeship programs, but they are paid apprenticeship programs with, again, the term being living wage, and that is determined by your community. 
and and that they are given an opportunity to enter the workforce between 12 and 24 months. um, And that's what the bill talks about. And with also an emphasis on communities um, that have been uh, marginalized, have not been a part of that workforce. If we look at it, it is predominantly white. So how do we diversify uh, the creative workforce in the state of California to look more like who lives in California? So there's a lot of really exciting elements to this bill that our organization, California Arts Advocates, helped to sponsor and write and lobby for. And Senator Ben Allen from Santa Monica was the author of. And we're just you know, we worked all year to sort of get this going, and then it all, all comes down to whether the governor signs it or not. And on October 9th, it was one of the bills that he signed. And so we were really, really excited to see this moving forward. All this information is probably very vital to our KVMR listeners, so we thank you for sharing it. We've been talking with Julie Baker. She's the executive director of Californians for the Arts and also California Arts Advocates. If people want to find out more information about all of this, where could they go, Julie? Yeah, thanks. Um, so the easiest place to start is our website, which we lead right now with CaliforniansforTheArts.org. Again, a C3 organization, a nonprofit. And um, there's a lot of other information there, too, that might be of interest to some of your listeners. In the last year, our organization also helped to lobby for historic investment in the recovery of the arts, culture, and creative industries with over $600 million in the budget allocated to both specific line items, as well as grant programs. And the one that's opening up uh, this Friday, October 29th, is the California Venues Grant Program. Californians for the Arts is a community partner to that. And so organizations in our own community, like the Miners Foundry, the Center for the Arts, um, might be able to apply for grants up to $250,000 to help them with the losses that they've incurred since the shutdowns due to COVID. So there's a lot of other things that are coming out in this next year that we hope people will pay attention to that will also support not only the artists and the individual workers, but also the organizations that also lift up our sector. So lots of good stuff and and you can check it all out there and sign up for our newsletter so you know about it, californiansforthearts.org. That's Julie Baker. She's been working on the arts community here in Grass Valley, Nevada City for years, now working statewide with California. Thank you very much, Julie. Thank you. We close with a moving commentary by military and healthcare chaplain Norris Burks on the necessity of unlikely friendships. As chaplain, Burke served with both active duty Air Force and the Air National Guard in posts as diverse as Turkey, Iraq, and Panama until his retirement in 2014. If you are a Friends fan, you'll likely know the acronym BFF, popularized by the Phoebe character in the NBC series. BFF, or Best Friends Forever, saw wide use among women, but not so much among men folk of my certain age. Nevertheless, I'm proud to describe Roger Williams as my BFF of 44 years. Honestly, he shouldn't have even become my friend, but he did. I met Roger in 1976 at Baylor University. I at first snubbed him because of his shoulder-length hair, but I needed a new roommate to share the expenses. Still, I shouldn't have invited him to be my roommate. I was a short-haired, Pepsi-drinking ROTC student, Roger was a beer-drinking fan of the American hard rock band Kiss. He constantly irritated me with his deafeningly loud music, but I reciprocated by playing his most hated artist, Neil Diamond. At least we could agree on Linda Ronstadt. 
Even though both of us followed a pre-ministerial track, Roger didn't often talk about his plans to become a pastor. I had loudly declared a double major in religion and journalism, but Roger, he kept a low profile as a sociology major. Nevertheless, we both enrolled in an 8 a.m. Greek class. When our alarm clocks rang, I raced my 10-speed bike to class. He typically followed 10 minutes later in his Chevy Vega, blasting his latest U2 album. I definitely should not have brought him to my church. Me in my three-piece suit and he in his bell-bottom cords. He came as a new Christian looking to question religion while I played the staunch Christian who kept his theology tight. We both pledged a ministerial fraternity where Roger had his pledge shirt imprinted with the words, The Dreamer, after his favorite Aerosmith song, Dream On. We really shouldn't have been friends, and yet we've been friends for a lifetime. We were the best man at each other's wedding. We attended the same seminary after college. Our wives birthed their first child months apart, and we regularly sought one another's advice when buying cars and houses. Eventually, I introduced him to health care chaplaincy, where he found inspiration for a new career. For 40 years, we remained close, usually finding jobs not more than 90 minutes apart. We were so different. How was it that we stayed friends? I think we became friends because we honored our differences, and we never demanded that the other change. We learned from each other, and we looked out for one another. We saw each other's heart before we heard each other's words. In these days of division, I want to encourage you to look in the unexpected places to find an unforeseen friend like Roger. Seek people of different colors, dissimilar persuasions, and sexual orientations. Reach out to those with tattoos and facial piercings, men with beards, women with outrageous hair colors. Don't avoid differences or demand similarities. Find each other's heart. It doesn't have to be difficult. Just walk up to someone different, introduce yourself, and tell them, Roger sent you. Thirteen months ago, Roger was diagnosed with a fourth reoccurrence of a cynic cell carcinoma and was placed on hospice. Then, last year, on the last Sunday of September, we sat on his couch, shoulder to shoulder, as we had stood for 45 years. As we said our temporary goodbyes, I held his cooling hand and I laid my head on his shoulders. And then, in between my sobs, I told him that he was my best friend forever, ever. That's okay, Norris, he said. It'll be all right. Soon he was asleep. Four days later, Roger died at 63 years old. Roger Williams III, my best friend forever. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, November 3rd. Here's something you want to listen to again or missed a part of an interview? You can always listen to expanded versions of our stories and interviews on our website at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from The Ham Stand, Butcher Shop on Zion Street, Nevada City, Open Daily providing fresh local heritage meats and deli counter, offering local brews and wine for dine-in on the patio or takeout, information thehamstand.com and 
Brookcrest by Colligan Water, family operated and serving Northern California since 1983. Providing homes and businesses with bottled water delivery service and custom label water for big or small events. More information at brookcrestwater.com. Stay tuned, The Sages Among Us begins at 6.30. On tonight's episode, host Lori Burkhart Frank speaks to Dick Law. Law is a realtor in Nevada County and founder of the nonprofit This Is Now Your Home, building tiny homes for the unhoused or home insecure in a county struggling with affordable housing options. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Thank you.